0: Welcome to In Detail, a new podcast from the industry.fashion, in which we get under the hood of the industry and examine the business and consumer trends that are driving change and take a look at some of the brands and people who are shaping the future of fashion. In this series, we will interview industry watchers, analysts, experts and writers who are all leaders in their field. I'm Loretta Roberts, Editor-in-Chief of the industry.fashion, and today we are in detail with the preeminent retail analyst, Richard Hyman. Richard has been watching, analyzing and commenting on retail for 40 years and remains a dedicated student of the industry. Richard began his career at the Financial Times before moving to Mintel and eventually setting up his own business verdict, which he went on to sell to the company now known as Global Data. After a spell at Deloitte, he became an independent analyst and today also works as a partner at Thought Provoking Consulting, which is a specialist retail consultancy, providing retailers with the necessary tools, processes and expertise to improve their performance and realise their strategic vision. As well as talking to Richard about his career in the industry as a whole, I took the chance to ask him about some of fashion's biggest names from ASOS to Arcadia and many more in between. Richard Hyman, welcome to the Industry.Fashion podcast. Thank you so, so much for joining us. I've been very keen to get you on. How are you?
1: I'm good, thank you. How are you?
0: Yeah, I'm all right, I'm all right. Um, for the benefit of the listeners, we are, what are we, lockdown two, day two? Is that right?
1: Something like that. It's a, a, a day, a day is an awful long time in lockdown. <laughs> yeah.
0: In the space time continuum that we're currently existing in. Um, Richard, before we looked into it, tell us how long you've been analysing retail for.
1: Must I? Must, must I be?
0: Yes. Uh, yeah. you can be approximate um, you feel better.
1: You, 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 the thing about rounding up and rounding down is it it depends on the circumstances, but um now I've got to the stage now where I sort of round down to try and uh, avoid looking uh, seeming to be as old as I really am, but um it's it's about 40 years actually wow. It only seems like yesterday, but it's about 40 years.
0: Give or take. Gosh, it just doesn't seem possible. So that's a long time in all of that time. Can you remember a period as challenging as this or a period that at least would give us an indication of what this industry that we both love is going to look like when we get out the other side? Or is it really just that cliched word, completely unprecedented, and we don't know?
1: No, this is totally unprecedented. There's no question and 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 actually, um, had we been doing this a year ago, I'd have said that that was unprecedented as well. I think that, you know, uh, for example, Brexit,
2: mm-hmm.
1: which uh, was our sort of uh, COVID before COVID came along, that was the dominant the dominant item on the agenda. Um, I think that that was unprecedented in terms of its economic impact, and therefore in terms of its. Influence on on retail but yeah. but um covid is something that nobody's ever seen before we've we've never had um an external uh event which has both forced um uh most of the market's shops to shut yeah. and uh significantly curtailed the uh activities of the people driving the demand i.e shoppers um yeah. And uh, we've never seen anything like it before. I don't really have the tools uh, to easily work out what life might be like beyond.
0: No, no. I mean, it it started out, didn't it, as we were worried about supply. We thought this was going to be a disruption to our supply chains. Then it's then it was became quite obvious it was a problem of demand, and then all the shops shut down. I mean, it was just. I don't know. I, it was like watching a tsunami come towards you. It was terrifying, really.
1: Yes, it's really, um, it, it's really posed uh, a whole range of challenges that that no one has really seen before. Yeah. Um, and, and 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 I guess the uh, you know the fundamental challenge is is, is cash um, and the fact that it's not rocket science. If your stores are shut, uh, you're not really able to turn stock into cash easily. Many people have got online channels through which they're able to compensate to a degree, but it is only to a degree. And um, uh, profitability online isn't great. No. Uh, And you've got returns to deal with. And um, so... Um, it's a long, long way from the normality that people, uh, even back when normality prevailed, uh, life was tough enough and trading conditions were were difficult. Um, it, it's, it's a lesson in how everything is relative and however awful things might look, they can get more awful. Of course, they, they can also get better. And eventually we hope very much that, you know, not too far into the future, things will start getting better.
0: You have to hope so. Um, and it's particularly, it's particularly difficult, obviously, for clothing retailers because, and that's what we're here to talk about, um, nobody's going out, they're not going to work. Well, not in the offices, certainly. They don't have a need to buy clothes. Suddenly you just feel almost irrelevant that you have no role to play in people's lives. I mean, happily, some people are buying clothes, but it is incredibly, incredibly difficult
1: the really huge questions aren't easily answered.
0: No.
1: Um, and um, I think that uh, there's no question that w- widening it out, obviously we are talking about clothing. Yeah. And it's not really going to be much of a consolation if I say that across the whole of the retail industry, there is no question that the hardest hit sector by far is clothing yeah. by far
2: mm-hmm.
1: no other sector or, or fashion let's say yeah. um, no other sector comes close and um, I think that you know every sector of retailing has its own peculiarities and one of the peculiarities of of clothing is that um, you know 90 percent of clothing is about wants not needs yeah. you know not much of what we buy every year is bought because it's replacing something that has worn out.
0: We are in, we're all about selling people stuff that they want, that we tell them that they want. And it's not really about basic human need like food, is it? Let's face it. So um, it's it's a, it's a difficult thing. And if there's no going out, if there's no going to work, you know, you're just hanging around your house. What do you need clothes for? I have to say, I've been doing my bit for all the fashion retailers listening. i still bought clothes. I'm obsessed but I'm in the minority I realise
1: I think there's no uh, you know there's thinking positive
0: Mm.
1: the most important thing is to think realistic
2: yeah
1: and and there's no point beating about the bush while lockdown is in place um, it's going to be pretty hand-to-mouth like it was last time I have estimated that assuming uh, lockdown lasts um, for the period that the government has um, indicated, and we go back. And assuming there's a little bit of a bounce back, yeah. um, the UK market will still have lost twenty billion pounds of sales during, you know, for uh, because lockdown during this period. That is. Uh, <sighs> it's something that boggles my mind. Uh, That's a huge number. I think that what people have got to spend some time doing as well Mm. is thinking about what's going to happen next year.
2: Yeah.
1: And and planning for it because um, uh, to a large extent, I mean, there are innovative things you can do. You can go the extra mile on this, that and the other. but. To a large extent, there's not much you can do. No. Um, I think that next year is going to be different. Mm -hmm. It is going to be a lot easier. I don't expect us to be in lockdown. No. There'll still be massive challenges. I don't think that um, people are going to stop working in offices. I don't think people are going to stop... um, meeting each other physically as opposed to having um loads of Zoom meetings I think that the uh you know the, the, the social side of um of life as we knew it will return and with it, with all of those things, um the sort of demand for fashion yeah. that we've become used to will return. Will it all go back just neatly to where it was before? No. But I do think that the idea that where we are now is life in perpetuity going forward is ridiculous, and uh, I don't believe for one minute it's going to be like that. I think that beyond, you know, without lockdown, there are already monumental challenges Mm -hmm. to the fashion industry, Uh, and and I would say the two biggest ones are um, the general – economic climate which will be um dominated by brexit and and our and our general recession and what that does to unemployment and what it does to household economics and and then there's something that i've been banging on about for years and years actually because it's been a, a slow burn but just getting more and more of an issue is overcapacity. And I think that um, it's clear that even if we didn't have lockdown and even if we didn't have corona, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: that the players that we've got in the market today with their capacity are too many to feed, Yeah, are not supportable by the size of the market that we've got. Mm -hmm. And I think that... um, You know, next year we we will see um, a lot of fallout from that. I think the extension of furlough, you know, to a degree, the extension of the cost holiday that business has yes, is kicking the can down the road. And, you know, there are a number of players who are teetering on the edge.
0: Exactly. I've got a list of people I want to ask you about. Um, I know your opinions on some of them because I've asked you before, but. I'm keen to hear them again and we will talk about that because there's no question this market is oversupplied Um, and as you said even prior to the crisis that we're in now it was oversupplied and there were too many people selling frankly the same thing more or less you know and not enough differentiation between the those mass market fashion retailers I mean some of them have disappeared off the the market now already but before we get to that Richard I just want to get a bit of background about you and then we'll get your opinions because um, I met you over the – well, when we were allowed to go out, we went out to lunch, and I, I was asking you about your career. I, I was really interested to know how you got into this business of analysing retail. So can you just tell us where, back in the list of time, you started out? What were you doing at the beginning of your career?
1: Well, there's certain things that I don't really talk about, but let, skipping on from them, uh, you know, the, the short uh, – uh, in the ni- for most of the 1970s, mm-hmm. I was a researcher at the Financial Times, and back then the Financial Times had a business information service to which companies or individuals, but it was mainly uh, aimed at companies, could subscribe, and you could essentially hire research capacity. Mm-hmm. and And um, my time at the FT was extremely educational. And I learned how to um, analyze markets, I suppose. Yeah. And from there, I went to Mintel. And Mintel back then was very embryonic. In fact, I was the first editorial employee.
2: Wow. Oh, my God. And, uh,
1: so I joined Mintel and I wrote reports about consumer markets generally. Okay. Um, so I I... Uh, became an analyst really um back then and after several years and mintel was growing very fast Mm -hmm. um, I was pretty much running that business yeah and um the people that owned it at the time um liked some of my ideas didn't like others and it was one of those put up or shut up moments um and um I decided to um leave and not start on my own. And the bit of the consumer economy that I liked the most, the bit that I found the most interesting and fascinating and analytically challenging was retail. So I went off and started Verdict. So we're now in 1984. I started Verdict and built it and 21 years later I sold it um and global i had data. yeah
0: it was global data that bought
1: it, wasn't it it was global data but they weren't uh it was actually data monitor, data monitor uh, what that and cool. yeah. yeah they became eventually global data mm-hmm. um so i sold it and um i joined uh deloitte right as their strategic advisor and i spent about five years at deloitte and since Uh, leaving Deloitte I I was part-time I wasn't full-time when I left Deloitte uh, so we're now around 2012 2013 and and since then I've been working pretty much on my own as an advisor to boards to CEOs uh, mainly to retailers and people investing in retailing and then earlier this year um I joined a specialist consultancy called TPC, Thought Provoking mm-hmm. Consulting. And um, I've joined as a partner and I'm very involved. That's the main thing that I do. I do still do the odd thing on my own, but that is the main thing I do. And TPC um, is really focused on inventory.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And... Uh,
0: Quite important right now, I'm going I'm gonna...
1: to... Uh, turning <laughs> inventory... Turning inventory into cash,
0: yeah,
1: um, in a more in a more efficient, focused way. And um,
0: how does it do that?
1: We do that by using clever software, tech, uh, data science, um, uh, forecasting demand, uh, managing markdown. Managing price and range architecture, the yeah. use of 3D technology, um, artificial intelligence,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and the business is half in the UK, half in the US, and we have some uh, a lot of uh, excellent retail clients, and uh, not all, but most in the apparel sector, both here and, and in the US. Um, and it's really exciting. And, um, you know, inventory is the biggest cost a retail business has. If retailers were to manage their inventory
0: as mm. carefully
1: as they manage their cash, they would be in a much better place financially.
0: That's fantastic. I mean, you're really still right at the cutting edge of of retail and the future of retail 40 years into your career. I mean, it's an- Trying to be. You're trying to be. You're still you're still the thing that I love about you is you're still a student of it, you
1: know. You're Oh, I'm I'm learning there's so much to learn. And uh, I think you said right at the start, you know, I, I'm in love with this industry. I'm uh every bit, if not more excited yeah. now than ever before. Because I think that the the opportunities here, um retailing is an incredibly dynamic, innovative Business And however saturated a market is, and as I've said, one of the issues that UK fashion retailing definitely faces is it's saturated. But at the risk of sounding like I'm contradicting myself, that does not mean that there isn't room for someone new to come in who's got a completely different take. But that take is defined by customers who want something new, that they haven't already got. Um, And that's what I love about it. It's constantly evolving.
0: Same here, actually. And the thing that sort of keeps me motivated and, and not sort of sinking into a pit of despair about what's happening right now is I know that there will be a lot of very interesting new businesses to come out of this. There'll be interesting new trends. There'll be interesting new attitudes from consumers. And this is a market that is... Yeah, it forces change upon itself all the time even when the market doesn't you know it's a very dynamic and very you know exciting market and it will adapt it will adapt somehow there will always be a fashion market just be different
1: right there there uh, undoubtedly there will always be a fashion market and um the the, the fact that this market is saturated mm. uh, absolutely does not mean that there aren't opportunities and the idea that people won't make money in this market anymore uh that idea is preposterous
0: that's nonsense right
1: it's nonsense
0: um let's talk about then some of the people who are in it now this is the fun bit because you've always got great opinions (laughs) and tell us how you think they're doing and you know what chance they've got of making it out the other side, let's say. I'm going to start. I'm going to make it easy for you. I'm going to start with a, a good one um, and a one that I know you admire and I do too, and that's Primark. Stores are shut again, though, and if I've heard this one time, I've heard it 100 times. Why haven't they got a website? Why are they not doing e-commerce? Is that a bad idea?
1: Well, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a great admirer of Primark. I think it's uh, an outstanding business. Um, outstandingly run. Uh, It does uh, everything very, very well. Does it do everything perfectly? Absolutely not. I've yet to come across um, a retailer that's perfect. Um, You know, clearly Primark is massively disadvantaged now in one way because it uh, hasn't got a transactional website. Um, And there's no doubt that if it did have a transactional website, it would be able to shift more stock. That wouldn't be difficult because at the moment it can't shift any or it can't, it can't in, the UK, in the UK and many and, and, and quite a few countries across Europe. But the reason that Primark um, is not transacting online is that it can't make money from it. Yeah. So if they were online now, they would be shifting some stock and obviously that would be good. But they would be racking up losses, which would not be very good. And, um, you know, the idea that Primark isn't online, you know, because it's emotionally against online retailing or because, you know, Paul Marchant hasn't noticed that you can sell things online is ridiculous. They've looked at it many times in great detail and they've always come out the other end um, uh, with the same conclusion. I don't think that that will remain in perpetuity. No. I think one day Primark is very likely to trade online. Yeah. But, but, uh, you know, one of the issues that people don't ever take into account really is the fact that because of its size, mm-hmm. because Primark is such a volume retailer, yeah. the, the, Implications of going online and what that does to cost and investment and building massive warehousing and having to buy uh, vastly more stock. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just a matter of sticking a few items in a picture on the website they've already got no. and waiting for the orders to flood in. It's not quite as simple as that.
0: No. I know. I do laugh at people that say, "Oh, they should be on like." It's like, yeah, I think they probably thought about that, and <laughs> the reason they're not doing it is not some sort of ideological opposition to um, no to retail, or because they wouldn't have the smarts to do it. They could, but it's the economics of it, isn't it? Really,
1: it's it, it, it's, it's about it's about economics exactly. And uh, I think the other thing to say about Primark, where they are in. You know a slightly different position from many, not all but many
2: yeah.
1: is the people that own them, although associated British Foods is a publicly quoted company, it's dominated by the founding family yeah. and they are in it for the long term you know they're not they're they're not happy with any of this no of course they're not, but they are less focused on the le- on the next quarter's. Uh, trading statement and they take a longer term view of of everything um you know i'm absolutely certain that when stores reopen primark will still be one of the absolute handful of best retailers we have in the market just as they were before
0: yeah i agree i mean all the all the property companies say they're the most requested retailer when they're setting up a shopping destination and they do a survey who do you want in it Primark's always on the list from the customer's perspective and, it, and it, it's the one during this period where they always had queues outside there's a lot of, kind of demand for it you know
1: yeah I, I think the other thing that that was it was very uh, noticeable um, or noteworthy that um when uh, stores reopened last time Mm-hmm. Primark's uh, trading performance was was actually very strong, okay. Al- albeit the pattern was different. Yeah. Albeit that their their sort of uh, you know their flagship stores, the two on Oxford Street, yeah. uh, uh, um, uh, Birmingham, Manchester, the, you know the biggest stores they've got, yeah. uh, uh, you know they were the ones that suffered most, yeah. and shopping and demand was much more local but I I fully expect this time next year Primark's competitive position in the market will I'd be surprised if it isn't stronger than it is now because they'll have grown more
0: yeah yeah and some of their rivals have will have been severely weakened as well they will let's talk about somebody possibly a bit more complicated M&S um we want it to be a great retailer. We all do, um, but for as long as I can remember now, it's been struggling in clothing. This sort of perpetual struggle to get clothing right. I, I COVID aside, Brexit aside, everything aside. Well, I mean, what's it going to do to sort that out? <laughs> I really
1: don't know. I think one of the I think one of the things that that has happened over a period of time with M&S and clothing is that. Um, the, the response to its faltering performance led to cost cutting. As a result of cost cutting, its performance faltered a bit more, which led to more cost cutting. And really, you know, what we've seen is over a period of years, over a period of many years, is the progressive decline of, of the clothing business and the progressive diminution of investment yeah. in that business. And uh, I've no doubt that if m really wants to have a successful clothing business making decent returns, mm-hmm. it needs to invest in the product. It's uh, all about the product.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I can... Not that I ever heard him, because I haven't been in retail quite that long. But you know, Simon Marks, yeah. you say that you know that that it, it was all about the product, and it still is. Yeah. And I think that um, uh, making your product cheaper is something that is you know probably top top of the agenda for the M and S leadership team. And and I think that's wrong. I think that's mistaken. Yeah. I
0: race
1: to the bottom, didn't they? Yeah. I think I think that it's a race to the bottom and it's a race to the bottom that they can only lose.
2: Yeah.
1: When it when it comes to cheaper clothing, mm-hmm. they are always uh, disadvantaged because they're coming from the other end of the spectrum, mm-hmm. i.e. higher priced clothing. Mm-hmm. I you know, I it seems to me that um you know, if you step back from this and um you know, I I tend to look at things strategically or I try to. Mm-hmm. And if I think about MS clothing as a challenge,
2: mm-hmm.
1: the lower risk option commercially yeah. is to spend more money, not less.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Making a success from making MS's clothing cheaper is it's it's not just extraordinarily difficult. Yeah. It it won't work, it won't be a success. I think that the it that it, the way forward is going in the other direction.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Spend more money, but we live in a very corporate world.
0: Yeah, it's a very difficult thing, isn't it? They they want to keep their costs as low as they can, they're under pressure, all these quarterly trading updates and
1: Well I I think I think what you what you have to do mm-hmm. is you have to persuade your stakeholders to understand that in business you have to invest first before you make a return.
2: Yeah.
1: It doesn't work the other way around. Right. And, um, you know, what I can see is a progressive diminution of, of um, MS's and um, ss clothing over time. And, um, you know, I think um, Richard Price, uh, you know, I, I think that that is a positive appointment. Yes. Um, an M&S man by background, very solid. He doesn't bring a magic wand with him. He needs support and, and he, he needs investment in the product. The fabrics, you know, it's very hard to find much in the way of um, natural fibre on an M&S clothing floor these days.
0: Yeah, and then uh, I haven't put them on my list because we wouldn't have time, but you, when you've got a Zara across the road doing so, something so much better for women of all ages, you know, why are you going to go there? They're so good at fashion, Zara. I just don't think m quite get the fashion right. So I don't agree with people that say they shouldn't do fashion. I think they should. They should do it a certain way. But, um, yeah, we could spend all day talking about them. I, I'm really keen on this next one to get your view because I am obsessed unhealthily with this business for various reasons. Phrases, group, Richard. It's a soap opera. I love them. I spend my days just reading and writing about them. But I do. What do you think about them? Mike Ashley and Co. Well I
1: you know, I, I find uh, you know I don't I don't know Mike Ashley. I think I've, I've met I've met him once. Yeah. Um, um you know I find I find them um, difficult to understand because I I find it hard to see any real rationality um, <laughs> in what they do and in how they do it. Um, my my view is that um, I think Sports Direct is clearly the cash cow. Yeah and and my feeling you know we are talking now in general terms we're not talking about you know recent months under lockdown this is a more general view
2: yeah.
1: um I, you know i would say that um sports direct in, in its uh underlying performance uh, has peaked Interesting. um
0: yeah
1: and 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 is Why are
0: they're doing this expansion into other brands and elevation of their estate as it were i mean
1: well i I think i think the um you know buying house of fraser was was a matter of pragmatism and opportunism
2: Mm. and
1: i'm not using the word opportunism pejoratively he essentially bought some of house of fraser's assets he didn't buy the entire company as a going concern yeah and um he essentially bought stock at a very heavily discounted price. Yeah. And and my analysis is that uh, he did very well out of that transaction, contrary to the way it's been presented. I think that you know the the, the, the issue with um, the whole of the Mike Ashley Empire really from the point of view of analysis or commentary that makes some kind of sense is that um, it, it was already very hard to read him and them yeah. but now because they've got so many moving parts in there it's really easy to muddy the waters yeah. um i i think that Fraser's far from being a disaster has actually worked out pretty much the way it was planned to work out
0: The Fraser's Group is famously undergoing an elevation strategy around um, House of Fraser, but also through the expansion of its flannels chain. How convinced are you of that?
1: I'm not really very convinced of the elevation strategy uh, in general. Mm -hmm. I I certainly don't see um, any real evidence of elevation in House of Fraser in the house of fraser stores mm-hmm. it uh, you know it, in fact if there's been any movement it's definitely um in the opposite direction rather than to be uh, elevated from where it was before
2: yeah.
1: and 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 flannels it, it is a business that one one would have thought um didn't really have an enormous opportunity for loads more stores and yet i do see that he is Planning to open quite a few more, and I just wonder, uh, you know, where that is going to end and how that is going to pan out. I'm not. I, I think that the thing is that, um, you know, with with Mike Ashley's business, mm. you know, we 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 have become quite used to there being a bit of a disconnect between what they say mm-hmm. in their Public pronouncements and their public pronouncements are usually, um, you know, pretty thin. Yes. But such as they are, there's a bit of a disconnect between what they say and what they do, and and the reality. So, um, you know, that the Harrods of the high street, um, I took that with a pinch of salt, and I'm afraid, uh, you know, I think the word elevation is is quite easy to say but actually doing something meaningful is costs you know costs quite a bit with with an uncertain outcome the numbers for flannels um you know look you know look very impressive but as i said before i think that really understanding what the underlying performance of the components of the, mm. that business are yeah. it, it has become really very difficult and it's all a bit blurred and murky
0: maybe how the they like it um They, of course, this week dropped out of the running to buy someone else that I wanted to ask you about, and that's Debenhams. I mean, this is more painful than the election of the next American president watching the saga at Debenhams, isn't it? Are we going to be forced to endure this? (laughs) I have to say,
1: it's difficult to think of something more painful, but you've nailed it. it. It really is. I I think the Debenham story is um is it, it's pretty awful and uh while, you know, one feels sorry for the people that work there and there aren't that many people that are working there anymore, um because most of them have gone. I think that it you know, Debenham's decline has been so long drawn out and so painful.
2: Yeah.
1: Um And um, I think that, uh, you know, clearly, had it not been for the cost holiday,
2: um,
1: Debenhams would surely be bust by now uh, or the, the people that now own it would have had to put a vast amount of money in, having put loads of money in a number of times before. You know, how many times... Are they going to put more money in and now we've got this rather absurd um, uh, charade yeah. of apparently uh, an auction where your place at the table involves you offering three hundred million pounds yeah when no one's going to put three buy debenhams for three hundred million pounds
0: why on earth and this is the bit that i never understood why didn't they just let last what early last year now feels like a hundred years ago why did not they just let mike ashley have it
1: because they don't want him to have it
0: (laughs) it's personal it's
1: about about, this this is all about this is all about emotion and it's all about vanity
0: talking about emotion and vanity richard the next company I wanted to ask you about was Arcadia <laughs> <laughs> and run by uh, Sir Philip Green and you do know him unlike Mike Ashton you know him quite well they've been quiet lately have they not I feel like I haven't really heard much from Arcadia they've laid some people off I know but what what the the look like there
1: well Arcadia it is fascinating and as you rightly say um, you know, things have gone very quiet there. You know, Arcadia can't conceivably be in a good place. No. Um, and and you know they must be hurting. But having said that, mm-hmm. um, you know, are they in uh, a much worse place than many other retailers? And I think the thing that
2: mm.
1: people underestimate about Arcadia is that it. It's a very well structured old style retailer mm-hmm. that is able to uh, put together a product that it can sell. Um, you know, do I do I expect in say two or three years' time all those Arcadia brands to still be trading? No, no, I don't. I don't. Um,
0: Streamline that portfolio.
1: I, I I think that you know think things need to happen um you know top shop uh and top man uh, or top shop is is a is a is still a good business and I, and I think it can be turned round i think the others are harder to turn round, but but they are consistent traders they've you know they've still got um the the wherewithal Mm-hmm. To trade those businesses week in week out, and um, I think that, like so many retail businesses, mm-hmm. this cost holiday has bought them quite a bit of time.
0: Yeah.
1: And while that remains the case, I think that the wolf isn't, it, it, you know, isn't isn't quite so close to the door.
0: Yeah. I've got a lot of affection for Topshop, actually, but I don't know if that's more just, I don't know, emotion or whatever. But I think it's a good brand, and I still think they make good clothes. Um, one of the businesses I wanted to ask you about that's been a bit of a thorn in the side of Topshop since it appeared, um, well, 20 years ago now, is ASOS. We've got to talk about an online player, so I picked them. Um, I think they're the biggest and the best we've got in this country. They look like they're doing all right to me, um, all things included. How, how, how about you?
1: yeah I think asos have come back um quite well yeah. um as I keep saying, given the cost holiday, it's hard to tell really how well anyone's doing
2: yeah sure not really
1: mm. um but I, you know i think asos is 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 a good business it's it's quite a well balanced business i think that um you know if if you want to if you want to see what kind of a margin you can make out of uh, an online clothing business, you'd be much better off looking at ASOS than Boohoo. Yes. For example, I think that ASOS is reality and Boohoo isn't. No, that's um, true. I, think that's true. I, I think, you know, ASOS has done phenomenally well. And a, as you were saying, um, it's really um, carved out a significant niche.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, into a market that appeared to have no room for newcomers. Mm. It's an example of what I was saying at the outset, where however saturated a market is, there's always room for someone new, someone dynamic, some mm. someone who's got a different take, um, mm. and, and they have. And you look at other people that fish in that sort of pond uh, that, that, that are more traditional, like Topshop, mm. and... Uh, you know, River Island, for example, Um, uh, ASOS and people like them, but particularly ASOS have made made life much more difficult for those guys.
0: Yeah, yeah. they've just got an energy about them, haven't they? There's just energy, there's there's dynamism. They're just great at stuff like social media and um, content. It's not just about the clothes, although they do those very well. It's the stuff they put around it that... Is exciting, ASOS. I think there's genuine real connection with their customer that other brands must kill for, I think.
1: And I think that what you've just said um, helps to explain how they make a margin. Yeah. You know, it's part of their added value. I think they've become a very reliable place for young people to go.
0: They have. Uh, it's it's funny you say I remember interviewing Nick um, Robertson who founded it I've interviewed him a number of times but most recently it was a while ago now because he's not really that involved in the business anymore Um, but I remember him saying people were talking to him about all of the fun stuff and he was saying you know you don't understand the service we have worked so hard on logistics and delivery and return. it's all the boring stuff he was saying that really set them aside because and (laughs) word that you use then that's, that i think is interesting they are reliable so you think i'll buy it from asos because i know i'll get it
2: yeah
0: there's this confidence that you have in their logistics and their ability to do what they say they're going to do that's been um you know part of their success i think
1: and you need that online you do. i think to, to grow to the scale that they have
0: yeah yeah um, yeah very interesting but the final retailer i'm gonna ask you about because I, I i feel like i want to end the discussion on a positive note and this is one of my m- uh, is it my most favorite retailer in the world it probably is actually i know you're also a fan um but let's have a let's have a little chat about selfridges i mean they're good aren't they goodness me. i know they must be hurting everybody is but that is a good retailer
1: yeah, they're they're hurting tremendously, but they are fantastic. Uh, I'm a I'm a huge fan. Um, I think um, I think Selfridges is really outstanding, and it's outstanding on uh, on quite a number of levels. I think mm-hmm. the the thing I love about them is um, you know they embody one of the most important cornerstones of any business and that is self-challenge they're constantly looking at everything they do and however well they already do it they are very happy to change it so that they can do it better you know the guy who said if it ain't broke don't fix it um wasn't in business constantly changing and i think the the great thing about selfridges is that um uh, every few weeks mm-hmm. there's something fairly meaty in that store that's big yeah that's changed the the dynamism that that they manufacture in that shop yeah is uh, is brilliant. It's absolutely fantastic, uh, and I I, I often um, you know when I'm doing talks to people or whatever, I often use them as my example of innovation. Partly because everyone expects innovation to mean tech, and I quite like it to mean just innovation in terms of change in terms of changing what you do oh, and you know they're
0: just creative and they're amusing right they, they, they've got humor in what they do which i love they're it, cool, I, right?
1: it's it's a i think it's uh it's a great business that does a fantastic job and uh, i think that when you know when, we're, we're, we're living in a retail world one of the things that is happening um there is a real uh, a real source of challenge uh, and raising the bar is that, um, you know, retailers we've known it for generations faces an existential threat.
2: Yeah.
1: And the reason it faces an existential threat is because the owners of the brands no longer have to go through a retailer to engage with customers.
2: Yeah,
1: And, and uh, you know, di- direct to consumer –
2: Mm.
1: is a is a massive growth area and we're going to see that much much bigger as 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 the years unfold but the great thing about selfridges mm. is that every you know selfridges hardly sells anything that's its own
0: so it's yeah
1: in a way selfridges is the kind of shopping mall of the future mm. and and the, the, the secret of its success is that the sum of the parts is greater than their individual values. So this this appalling overuse of the word curation, yeah. which I cannot bear, but uh, that is what Selfridges is brilliant at doing. It is an active curator and it wants to shuffle the pack. Yeah. It wants to keep bringing new people in, Um, You know, setting somebody else aside. It's making, it's constantly refreshing and it's brilliant. In a way, it's called fashion. It's constantly changing.
0: It's true. It's true. I love it. And I think it does for brands what they sort of don't do for themselves. Because I'll go to Selfridges to buy a brand, I can buy it in a shop on South Moulton Street. But I'll pass that shop on South Moulton Street and I'll go into Selfridges because it's more interesting you know yeah. that's when you know you're doing it right right yeah. there's
1: a there's a terrific vibe in there
0: mm. yeah good and i'm i'm i know and hope it will come back and i have been in during this sort of quieter period I And mean, it's closed again now obviously and even though you've got to sanitize your hands and wear a mask it was still cool they still had lovely displays in there they were still jolly they were still so it, it heartened me it really did um Okay, that's my list of retailers over, and I'm, I'm really grateful to you. I'm going to give you one final question before we wrap this up. I could talk to you all day, Richard. I really could, but it's okay. busy. Um <laughs> certainly busy than me. Um, you said there that uh, retail faced a bit of an existential threat, but you've also said that there's opportunity in the future for the physical fashion. Um, do you think... I don't know, when we've got a vaccine, when the time is right, those shoppers who've all been staying at home, will they come back, do you think? I
1: think a lot of them will. Yeah. Uh, I don't think all of them will immediately. I think that X percent of the population for one reason or another is nervous and will take some reassurance.
2: Yeah.
1: But, but eventually people will. Yeah. Um, You know, it, it, it doesn't mean that Fashion retail doesn't have to meanwhile have a massive restructure no. um, but the idea that people are not going to make money selling fashion in physical stores going forward is absurd of course they are um, what 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 we're going to end up with is greater quality i don't mean um high end mm-hmm. I mean better value better better product for the price better retailing and, and a bit less of it because yeah. we've got too much uh it's too samey and i think that the strongest the most confident the ones able to differentiate
2: mm-hmm. and
1: the ones particularly who've got the vision and the courage to invest in their product
0: thank you richard um that was a positive end and i'm pleased about it um i want to thank you for your time you're a busy guy and you've got so much experience uh, we're so grateful that you shared your thoughts with us today and i will always because i always do come back and ask your opinion about things as we move through this crisis and beyond thank you very much
1: richard pleasure
0: if you enjoyed our in detail podcast why not check out our In Conversation series at the industryfashion slash podcasts, in which we chat to fashion brand and retail founders and leaders about their careers and their businesses. Our podcasts are also available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all major podcast platforms. Be sure to subscribe to ensure you never miss an episode.